You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 111, Sharing the Harvest During the Holidays. In this episode of Hunt of Boar, the holidays are fast approaching. Thanksgiving is here at the end of the week, and that ushers in the arrival of gatherings, parties, and opportunities to share our hard-earned harvest. Chef Rob Chapone joins us again to talk tips and tricks to make food during these festivals. We talk turkey for Thanksgiving, roasting it whole and breaking it down, treating each specific cut separately. We jump into Christmas and talk big, bold presentations of a whole egg roast and Wellingtons. And we finish up with hors d'oeuvres for the New Year's. Let this chat get the season started and meal prep, meal prep wheels turning on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful evening here in Michigan. Hey, happy holidays and happy Thanksgiving 
to everybody out there. Rob, thank you for joining us on this festive time of year. Um, are you uh, are you a big? I guess I should say, which of the holidays is your favorite? Uh, what's one that you really lean on? That is a great question. Um, you know what? I love Christmas time. I love the the build up to it. You know, it's exciting, and you know, I love it. And the, and the meal is always, you know, powerful on Christmas Eve. You know, you get the seafood and all sorts of, the, you know, the festival, the seven fishes, they say. I got the festival, 28 fishes, bro. I got every fish there is. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's awesome. And then uh, Christmas Day, it's just hanging with the family, watching movies, you know, eating, you know, making lasagna and eating leftovers if we have to. And, and, and it's just, it's just awesome. And then, you know, New Year's is coming up. So you got like this eight-day extravaganza, you know. So I would say that. Gotcha. Gotcha. The whole the whole spick and span, the whole shebang there with Christmas. I, uh, I'm a sucker for Thanksgiving for a, a whole number of reasons. One is that's, yeah, that's my family's real um, time of year as far as for the for the poultry farm. I mean, we're... We're one hundred percent turkey at the farm, and so it's like all hands on deck. So I'm, we're working yeah. as a family together. We get to Thanksgiving Day, and we've really, we approached it, yeah, kind of like we, we everybody sleeps in. That's the one day that like the autos really do sleep in. Um, get a chance to just relax a little bit, and then we meet up later in the evening. Um, but yeah, we get a chance to hang out. But that whole season of just giving thanks and being grateful and showing gratitude and a time of reflection that's really that really gets me fired up and I don't know like I know you love love Christmas I I find it's I'm, I'm an introvert I guess at, at heart but at the same time I, I live in an extrovert world so yeah I get to the Christmas season and there's all these parties and gatherings and after a while I'm like oh man yeah. I am just I'm tired. <laughs> it wears me out. But that season of Thanksgiving to just reflect and be thankful for all that I've been gifted with, all the opportunities and the chance just to to show gratitude and to express that back. So, yeah, this whole uh this whole time of year is just I yeah, it's one of those I think people either love it or yeah, it, it gets tough at at these times of years for folks. I know um at the same time as much as people are getting happy, there's a bunch of people that uh need to be loved on during this time of year absolutely man all the holidays it's it's an opportunity to just bless the body and come alongside them and whatever the holiday is for no reason actually forget the holidays it should be always you see someone in need you jump in there you know you just do your part whatever that means you know and uh but i think the holidays enhances that you know and can i change my holiday can i make it memorial day yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna jump all the way over to Memorial Day. <laughs> yeah, because that's when everything starts. The summer, there's a pool, there's yeah. a beach, there's a you know, there's fishing, everything there is, and and it's like, you know, the winters are tough in New York, you know. And you're probably I can't complain. I'm sure your winters are, are pretty tough weather wise. Yeah, we uh we we in the state of Michigan, the the lakes do help us in one capacity. Um, they do mild us out, um, you know, across the big lake in at Lake Michigan, um, 
poor Wisconsin and Minnesota, they just get pounded by cold temps, um, you know, real frigid air. It does come across the lake and mild it out, but what it in the in that process, it also picks up a bunch of water and then dumps a ton of snow. So we do end up with a little bit more snow than they do over on that side of the lake. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that it just December's great, January's fun, February the magic is gone, and March like what the heck March? I thought you were part of spring, <laughs> and all that seems like yeah. it, winter is still around then. But yeah, it's harder Absolutely. to get excited when things get super dark and past the holidays. At that point, it's like shoot, what are we looking forward to now? We need something to do. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, but there's always something to do outside, no matter what season it is. There's always, I mean, if you're going to go out in the cold, you do it, but there's always something going on outside, no matter what day of the year it is. You know what I mean? And it's getting out there and adventuring it, you know, and getting out there and just looking at what's happening. There's always something happening out there, you know? Trying to bring the kids out and, like, go find bugs and go... You know, just go looking in trees, pulling bark back and lifting logs and just looking for creatures. Just looking, you know. It's pretty cool. Yep, yep. Well, hey, let's let's open up Pandora's box here. I had you on again, Rob, because um, you you do a lot of parties, you do a lot of gatherings. And as we get into this time of, of, of festivals and feasts that we might want to approach the way that we're doing things um, differently, we might want to, you know, get some tips and tricks from you when we're when we're making something or some different ideas. Um, and I do want to start right here at Thanksgiving. And one thing that is is a mainstay, it's going to stay on my my table, is turkey. Whether that's going to be the domestic one that yeah. you know that I had, I took part in raising that. Whether it's the wild bird that you chased either in the fall and spring was able to smack a big old tom or or get a, a fall hen and then be able to bring that into your freezer. Um, when you're approaching a turkey for a Thanksgiving meal, are you still in the camp of roasted whole, or are you now in this new age where we're breaking the bird apart and cooking the different parts uh, according to their makeup? Um, that's an awesome question, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about turkey because, you know, Everybody, you talk to 40 people, everybody does their turkey differently. <laughs> Everybody's got to move, you know, they got their own stuff. But um, as as for the turkey, um, it depends on what's happening. Like for me, the last, you know, out of the last 15 Thanksgivings, I probably worked 13 of them. And they were for all different families, you know, travel families, you know, high profile families where I was doing big spreads for, you know, multiple people and I needed to make a decision. How, what am I going to, that's the biggest question. What are we going to do with the bird? (laughs) What are we going to do with this thing? And, you know, if it's simple, if it's only 10 people, five people, if it's 20 people, if it's, you know, you want to highlight the bird and, you know, the breasts can be done so many different ways. You know, and now that sous vide is in play, um, I love doing sous vide turkey and meat and, you know, on certain cuts. You get it to the temperature you need. 
and then you finish it up. You can inject that same flavor in a sous vide that um, roasting it. You can get the same flavor by, you know, roasting that turkey and putting it in the sous vide, you know, with the breast. It's not going to make a difference. Um, so I like breaking it down. I like roasting it whole for the effect. Sometimes I'll just roast a whole bird just for the um, presentation. And then I already got everything plotted up and ready to go. And then we'll use that turkey for the next day. Oh, there you, you know? go. So, look, yeah. Oh, I like that. Um, I like that. The Norman Rockwell, you know, so, where you're lifting yeah. that up and you're bringing that out yeah. in front of people. Um, yeah, you bring it out, you lift the leg, and then you take it and you throw it out the window. <laughs> are you are you hating on my dark meat right now, Rob? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about dark or light or white or yeah. black, and I'm out. So what else? <laughs> well, you so, were talking about that yeah. sous vide too. Like I have, I have found myself in the camp of. Um, yeah, I, I got the whole bird, and if I got to cook a whole bird, I I can do that. Um, it's, it's one of those things it, you, you got to babysit it. You got to be there with it. You can't walk away from it, even though it's going to take forever. Um, you got to be with it. But yeah. I have really found like, I, I started taking a bird and I'll, I'll do it on the grill, but I'll have the whole thing cut in half. So straight down the bisect. And basically I'm taking that like 20 pound bird, cutting it in half. Yeah. And now I've got the full breast. I got the full thigh. I got the full leg, um, throwing that in the grill as like a half or even yeah. like to take the backbone out, spatchcock it, lay it flat. That just gives you a better approach when it comes to doing something outside on the, the yeah. pellet smoker, um, something if you want to go that route. That's a great way to be able to do the bird. I This summer, playing around with my, my sous vide machine, I ended up taking off the leg quarters and you know, getting my, my aromatics in there. I think I had, um, I had thyme, I had butter, I had garlic. And then a little bit of oil, just to make sure that it would it would work itself all the way through. And I put those things in uh, the water, 155 degrees, 36 hours, and yeah. that came out like like I could just feel it in the bag. It, I just felt all that meat had had softened and released. And these are like this is the hard working part of the bird at this point. Like for wild turkey owners or for wild turkey uh, successful wild turkey hunters. When you've got that and you look at that drumstick, you're like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the sinews. Man, get yourself a sous vide machine if you're going to be a wild turkey hunter because that is going to turn those those legs that you couldn't figure out that, yeah, Rob's wanting to throw out the window. We can soften those puppies up and shred those off. And, man, I tell you what, as a dark meat lover, that that is the go-to. You, break, you, you know, turn on your broiler, pull them out of the bag, hit them for five minutes, pull them back out. I think that's the way that I'm going to approach dark meat from now on, given if I have the opportunity is get those things into a sous vide. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest tools that I've added to my tool belt just recently for two years. You know, I only been doing it for maybe two years. One of my buddies, Anthony, he introduced me to it. One of the chefs with during COVID, we're doing all sorts of crazy, turn my house into a, a, again, a commissary. I had trucks coming in, trucks coming out, bro. I had we were plating up, we were sending big bags of foods and you know to all these offices. So he introduced me to the sous vide, and I was so mad at a sous vide just because of the name. It made me angry. 
the name made me angry, so I just didn't want to ever use it or get, have anything to do with it. And it's so silly. It's such a silly thought. But that was it. I just didn't want to deal with it. So he introduced me to it, and I tasted this pastrami he made in it. And I was in. I was like, I'm going to sous vide myself. I'm going to sous vide <laughs> everything. I'm sous vide my kids. I'm sous vide my, my pool. That's impossible. But, yeah, man. So... Let me jump into something before I forget, though. Yeah. Um, so last last Thanksgiving, I was in Oregon. That's when I was telling the story about the elk. That yeah. elk story, I was there, and I cooked Thanksgiving. That was Thanksgiving done. Um, so that elk, uh, the elk backstrap, the tenderloins, everything went on that menu. Um, it, was, it was amazing. I cooked it 20 different ways. But the turkey I did, I deboned the whole entire thing. I went right through, I took it, I left the skin on it, and I just laid the whole thing out like a sheet pan. And then I took it and marinated it and put, you know, roasted garlic in and some uh, rosemary. And then I made like this Dijon with, um, you know, some fresh herbs and, 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 and just started marinating it, you know. And then I uh, put fresh ro- rosemary sprigs in it, closed it up, tied it trust it made it like this part it looked like a football but like uh that size but a little bigger and and then i just tied it up i put it on the smoker and i left it on um an upright smoker for you know when i leave it in there for maybe two and a half hours but it had coals underneath and i had cherry wood that i kept putting wet cherry wood on there so the smoke of the cherry wood was going through it and it was pretty high from the fire, so it wouldn't catch up. But that was the move. That was the best turkey I ever cooked. Oh, you know, like man. the flavor. And yeah. It was, yeah. It was game over, man. <laughs> so now at that point, you just you slapped that bird onto a, a cutting board, rested it, and you literally – you didn't have the bones in there, so it was literally you just sliced it out, and it was almost this roll of yeah. beautifully done yeah, breast. Yeah. You got the dark meat that's yeah. on the side. Shoot, a little bit of that wing meat that's in there. That's good. Yeah, and the – if you tie it tight enough and you have that Dijon in there and you have like all these herbs and stuff happening, it kind of just uses together like a pressed, you know, like a bologna or something. You know how it's pressed? It, it you know, it, it, it slices nice, you know? Yeah. So a oh. little move there. There you go. Yeah. If someone's really into, into it at that point, like, yeah, really get your nice skills in there. Debone that whole thing. I, it is one of those, like, bird bones, yeah, they're light, but at the same time, man, some of those are really odd-shaped, and it's going to it's gonna take you a minute to figure out how to get around that pelvis or figure out, like, how does those three bones come together in the wing or even in the in the leg. Like, it's going to take a half a second for you to, to work your knife in, in through there. Yeah, absolutely. I've tried it. You ever tried it before? We're we're gonna we're planning on frying a bird here uh, for Halloween. I have I got a frozen turkey. Actually, we they gave them out at work at my school, and they're like, uh, we're, "Nick, do you want a do you want a turkey?" And I was like, "Why why would I want a why would I want a store bought turkey? I'm good. I don't I don't need a turkey." Well, they passed them all out, and sure enough, here's this one they don't know what to do with. It's a 22-pound tom, tom, and so they're like, you know what, Nick, you're you're taking it home. So I have this 22-pound bird that something's got to happen with it. It's just been 
basically it's been a a chilling like you know those uh, how you put wa- jugs of water in your empty freezers to kind of like alleviate the stress on the freezer you know that way it keeps yeah. it cold like that's what that thing's doing it's just this cold sink sitting in my freezer and something's got to happen to it <laughs> but yeah man deep frying a bird i it was really hot like about five years ago and i think either people a burn their garages down or b like didn't didn't like it, it, it does take a lot of cleanup and a lot of assembly but despite those two other ones it is a beautifully done bird you want to talk about presentation that's where you get a super like golden brown crusted skin outside when it comes to deep frying a bird i really enjoy it but it is one of those that yeah you you are all in for that next hour and a half watching that thing yeah and and, and you know what i'll throw a little trick out there you know before you do it fill fill the uh the bucket with uh water halfway then put your bird in that and then with a sharpie make a line where that water came up and now that's your oil line you'll know that the oil is coming up to there because you already submerged it in water you know i love that Um, idea yeah it's a little more work and you got to dry everything but it's worth it because when if you misjudge that by two inches you you could really hurt yourself yeah Because now that oil's oil's coming over the top, you get the splash and shoot, then you get the flare up, and those two points you just said right there, measure out how much oil, and then dry everything out. Make sure that bird is completely thawed and dry everything out. That is, yes, that's a pro tip right there. That's a safety tip right there. Yeah, I've done it, man. I've learned, you know, and and I came close to that happening. (laughs) I came close to that happening. It happened right away. You know what I did, bro? I, I, I took my fist. I grabbed the bird out of the oil and pulled the bird out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I stuck my hand right out. I mean, it was like the wings were coming. The legs were coming out. So I had a, like a little bit of a grip, but I still got oil on me. But I, I, I was so, you know, in the moment that you know, if I didn't do that, who knows? If there was a leak in the propane tank. And then that thing blazed and got into the lake, the the um the leak. You know that tank would blow up, man. Yeah, you would be done for at that point. <laughs> They'd be picking up pieces of bird and rob all over the place. To celebrate Thanksgiving anymore? Like, yeah, we just everybody blew up. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do Thanksgiving here. <laughs> uh, that's horrible thought. But yeah, let's, let's keep the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we've talked about the the bird here, and I was going to talk about some accompaniments, but let's get right into the the greatest accompaniment that it ends up the, the great equalizer. It ties everything together, and that's going to be the gravy. When when Rob's making gravy, take us through how to get a silky smooth gravy when i when i'm going to pour it on on my bird i'm going to pour it on my turkey i'm going to pour it on my stuffing it's going to get it's going to get even on the sweet potatoes it's going to go uh on the mashed potatoes like it's going all over the place how am i making a dynamite gravy from leftover bird or is it better to go out of a bag at that point am i making a secondary gravy 
you know, to really bring it to the next level, it's, it's timing and stages. You need different stages and different, um, different parts of the bird. So when you're making the gravy, I usually just start with, I'll take a whole turkey and I'll break it down. And if I save it or use it or fr uh, freeze it or whatever I do, I'll take the, all the bones and I roast them, you know, I'll roast them and then I'll put them in a, in a pot and make a stock with it. But while that's happening, I have the turkey in the oven. Um, I'll have, um, I'll have more, uh, you know, neck bones. I'll take those neck bones and roast them and roast them like, like really nice, you know, and, and, and put some herbs on there. And then I take that. And now you got the stock going. And while that stock's going, you're starting to add the juices that are coming out of the bird as you're cooking it. You're taking it out, and that's where that base that comes in. It's going to bypass the oil and go down to the liquid, suck up the liquid, put that in the stock pot, and keep doing that. You know, and then if one of the parts, you know, it starts, you know, you want to get those wings. If the wings fall off, sometimes they break apart, put them in the stock. Now you got vegetables going in the stock. Now you're making this, 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 you're making the gravy from a stock, you know? So whatever, whatever intense things that are happening in that stock, it's going right in the gravy. And then you do those stages and you'll taste, you know, you'll taste that. You want to taste the gravy. The gravy is one of the most important parts. Like you said, I couldn't have said it better, you know? And then when that's down to, you know, maybe you're ready for it, you want to thicken it you can thicken it many different ways you know you can even if you're on the fly you can use wondra you know what wondra it does wonders they should call it wonder yeah <laughs> wonder. i mean it, it's <laughs> yeah you sprinkle that in there if it's a big vat of gravy you're cooking for a lot of people forget the wonder you want to make a root you know a little little butter little flour you whisk it until it kind of um it's kind of thick, you know, and then it's bubbling and then you cook that flour out. You turn it down and then you you take that and that's your roux. You let that cool down and then you add it as you need it to thicken the um, the broth to make it a gravy, you know. Um, and you can use the chicken grease, to, half butter, half chicken grease and make the roux with the chicken grease and the butter. And it'll be even more intense flavor, you know, so. You can thicken it that way. You could use cornstarch and make a slurry. And, you know, that's not the one I would recommend people do it. But, you know, making that roux, there's another stage of flavor. You're cooking that, um, that chicken fat with the butter and you're making the roux. So now you got all these stages in that pot. That's the gravy you're looking for, you know. I like it. I like it. There's depth of flavor at that point. It's it definitely isn't coming out of a box. It's not coming out of a packet. It is legitimate. And I I liked how you said like, oh shoot, the leg fell off. Or, I mean, the wing fell off here. What do I do with it? Well, shoot, throw that right into the pot that's over here simmering. And as you put it in the pot, yeah, everything put it in the pot. As you're cutting up the vegetables, you know, the tail ends of your carrots are going in there. The the peelings that's from it, the man. the onions are going in there. Like. You got your you got your uh, mirepoix already kind of starting, and that's just the tips and ends that you haven't used, and all that goes in there, and yeah, nothing goes to waste. I think I I love that idea. That's great. Well, hey, you know your stuff, man. It's awesome. It's you know you know food, and and when you speak about it, you you've been to battle, you've been at war, you know what you're talking about. You know, it's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. 
man, Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's let's just wrap that up with a uh, a good little bow there. That's that I know that's my favorite is is that whole Thanksgiving piece and um whether you, it's just your immediate family or whether you're extending it out to even even further uh people coming and joining I I kind of really like even the idea that folks are getting into the point where yeah I've got my family I was born into this family but now I all of a sudden have this friends group that I have sought out and I've have deep relationship with and all of a sudden there's a friends giving like that trend of like not only extending to just your family but now it's that you're you're making your circle bigger and so you're having a second feast you're having a second get together of friends giving like that idea too is just really cool cuz it expands outside of just uh what what tradition is and at this point like anybody that uh you have a relationship with that you're on the same wave wavelength that you've chosen to do life with like Nothing better than to to give thanks together with those people. So that's a trend that I love seeing as well. That that is that's really that's what it's about, you know. You know, the people you do life with, you know, and, and you know, you're trying to figure life out with people. You know, it's like we're on this journey and those people that are helping helping you navigate and you're helping them navigate and you're raising each other's kids. I mean, it's a village. You know, you need a village, and and that's that's created. You create that. You you manage that. You 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 form that. So it's something that you know everybody needs people by their left and right. You know. fast forward onto what what you've now declared as your second favorite holiday memorial day took a big jump it found its first slot so we're, we're going into the silver line here we're going into christmas yeah um uh, that's huge holiday both for you know religious reasons i mean shoot this is the birth of our savior but then even you know on the secular side this is uh, a time that people have chosen to um Either give to you know give to the needy or just recognize time to be together. It's a great time to finish out the year, because um, yeah, we've got the new year coming up soon. You know, at that point, it's like eight days away. Um, but yeah, here we are at at the Christmas time. Either a big feast on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, or whenever you can finally get everybody together. It seems like Christmas season at this point is it is it's everything 
bold. You want big, bold, hearty flavors. I mean, we're talking spices that are just making that huge old pop to it. You know, citrus is one of those things that really brightens things up. Um, saffron is one of those things that really gets blown out in, in this time of year. Or even um, uh, clove is another one where it's got that real sweet, savory uh, piece going on. Um, I know at my Christmas season, I've got I've got a dish that I I really kind of do. It's a, it's a huge flex. Uh, on my part, but I, I love putting it together. And that's the, uh, instead of the beef Wellington, I go with the Venny Wellington. I go with the venison Wellington. Nothing's more, I think, bold and decadent than bringing up a roasted backstrap that I've now ser- like wrapped in a mushroom uh, chutney, I guess, for a be- lack of a better term, rolled that in prosciutto, or uh, Parma ham, and then roll the whole thing in puff pastry, roast it up, and then try to make my try to make my hollandaise like that. There in itself, like the Wellington is. Yeah, I know it's another French uh, French invention, but at the same time, no, that that one is a British British invention. But at the same time, uh, like yeah. I I love that dish. Um, I think I've won some people over with uh, with the Wellington. Um, as far as venison, because, yeah, it, it really does. There's so much that's going on, both on the savory end, but at the same time, like, that gamey piece that people are looking for in venison, they can't find it because there's so much else that's going on with it. They got the mushroom, they got the earthiness from the mushroom, they got the the puff pastry from the crunch on the outside of that, and then all it's that the all that liquid that's just working around there. I try to, I try to not get the soupy uh, Wellington, but... Man, that's just a, a great move that when we're getting a bunch of people together and I really want to be able to show off venison, that's a that's a great one to do. That is, and it's a very, very risky dish. You know, it's like advanced. You need to be paying attention to what's going on because especially venison, you know, you have some room with era, you know, you have some room um, with uh, a beef, you know, a filet of beef. But venison's smaller, and it's it's if you overcook it, man, it's game over, man. It's it is. Game over. It is. Yeah. My. It's like I ain't even serving it. I'll throw that out the window with the turkey. Everything <laughs> goes out the window. There's just gonna be a pile of food outside the window. <laughs> All the stuff that you just overdone. Yeet, there it goes <laughs> out the window. But anyway, oh, that's that's my move, and I know we had talked earlier. Um, a little bit, I think on last episode, we talked a little bit of hollandaise and that is one, see, I think I have more of an issue with hollandaise than I do actually the creation of the Wellington. Um, Wellington, I, I think I got that pattern down as far as, you know, just, just sear the outside, like really dry out. Like as soon as I think I got that, uh, the mushrooms dry, like give it another 45 seconds like that's going to be the the ticket there and that make sure their puff pastry is going on just out of the refrigerator make sure that's nice and cold so that when you get that in the oven and you start to start to heat that up like the puff pastry is timed good with the back strap but then it's like making this hollandaise where i've got I've got a hot liquid going in with a room temperature liquid. I'm worried about yolks breaking and things not going together. 
what are some tips if someone's going to try and make this hollandaise sauce what are some tips that when you're creating it that that's going to help you come up with something that's smooth and creamy and that's not going to break well you know it's good we're talking about this this is one of my moves i you know hollandaise i use a lot like especially when i was you know heavy into the private chef where there was multiple families going on everyone wants eggs benedict everybody so I, I just figured it out, how to do it quick, how to do it on the fly, how to, you know, how to store it, you know, this little trick. So I can give you the two-minute version of it. I mean, everybody gets intimidated with it. It's just, a, it's, a, it's just doing the same series of things and paying, to, paying attention to what's going on, you know. A lot of people um, that aren't skilled in the kitchen, there's a lot of moving parts that they just wouldn't think about it normally. You know, but when you're a chef, you kind of understand that you got the temperature of the water, which is key. The bowl that you put in there, if that thing's too hot and you left it in there too long, you put the yolks in there, it's going to cook. It's going to coat the outside and cook it. You know, there's little things that happen. But one of the tricks I do is I have a, a, a little cup of water next to when I'm making it. And that water is the key to success because you're using that as your guide to either thin it out or you know, um, don't put it in there and put more butter in there. And so once you have your eggs, just say four egg yolks, I start whisking the egg yolks in a, in a room temp bowl. And then I put it on my double broiler that is just about like low. And then once I, cause once you put that bowl back on that low is turning into high. So you gotta not, you never want that to boil. Because boy, there's so much room for error when that thing is boiling. No, let it be hot and, you know, turn it up a little bit, but keep whisking those yolks and put a little water in there in the beginning. And then I put a whole lemon juice in with the yolks. And then I keep whisking that. And then I start to pour the clarified butter in there. It has to be pure and clarified. And then I take that and put that in a squirt bottle. So I can use the squirt bottle and control how much do I want to put in. And then I squeeze it, I put it in, and then as it's starting to thicken, I add a little more water, a little more lemon juice. I keep it going, and then I add a little more. And then I get it as much as I need to, you know, as big as much as I want to do it. And then I start to season a little salt. I'll put a little white pepper in it. Sometimes I'll throw sriracha in there, you know, and I'll mix it up. And then now the key is storage. You want to get that done. You don't want to do that right when everybody's sitting waiting. That should be done 20 minutes before everyone even sits, you know. So that thing's sitting done, and you use the water to keep it where you want it. And it's only going to make it grow, and you add a little salt to just keep it where it needs to be. So now you got this hollandaise that's ready. It's sitting there waiting for you. It's perfect as you need it. You don't got to worry about it breaking. You don't got to worry about nothing. Once it's set like that, it's set. You keep it on that same pot of hot boiling water. You just put it on the counter and make sure that, you know, there's no heating element underneath it. It's the perfect warming temp. I spoke fast. I hope everyone got what I said. Yeah, yeah. A couple like the pull the pullaways that I'm taking away from that right now is that the control factor. I have water on one side of me and I got a squeeze bottle of clarified butter that that is how I'm gonna maintain that control that I can, I'm not dumping in all my butter at that point and, ah, shoot, now it's too much or whatever. No, I got a controlled element with the squeeze bottle. 
Like that little bit oh. of shoot a dollar seventy five from the dollar store for a squeeze bottle and an extra two minutes to get my butter foot butter yeah. clarified and to get it in the squeeze bottle is going to save my whole dinner. That's going to save me from having a huge mistake. Yeah, and spend a dollar, put a, you know, get a funnel at the dollar store too. Put that on the register. Ring it up, Johnny. Ring it up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm and with then, you, man. Yeah. yeah. So we go from there, and then so, even, like, yeah. like yeah, have it done. Because that was the other thing, too, is I'm like, ah, shoot, I don't want this to be cold. But just take your double boiler or, you know, you got your, your two pots stacked together and you got it on top. Like, even though that water's boiling, just move it off the element, put it on the counter, you know, put a, a heating pad down, put it on the counter. And at that point, that, that residual heat is going to just maintain that sauce for you so that when you are ready to plate up, people are sitting people are ready now now you can deploy it and you you know you haven't had to rush you haven't had to like pull yourself out of the party just to make this sauce you know when when i'm doing an event or even just cooking for my family or you know doing the private chef um what happens is you know you got all these channels going on but you want to get the things that are the most risky you want to get them under control first and then while you're trying to figure that out, you got things cooking on the stove, you are doing the fine tuning stuff. But you want to hit those risky things, even if you're not going to make it, set it up, have everything in the corner for holidays. It's in the corner, even on a sheet pan. That's, that's waiting. That job isn't now. It's later, but it's set up. And then you do all your other stuff and you start setting it up in the risky order. Things that take the longest, you start them first. And then all the chopping and like fine tuning stuff, you do that while everything else is going on. Gotcha. Yeah. The whole idea, like the cliche of spinning plates, like you have so many spinning plates, like that is reality when it comes to making Thanksgiving. When you have making Christmas, you have all these elements, like you have so many plates that you're spinning. Get the wobbly ones first, get the hard ones first. I like that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. You're good with your analogies. You got them, man. You got them coming out of the everywhere. I tell you, it, <laughs> I can talk to anybody. That's my. I think that's probably my gift. Is I I can carry on a conversation. I would see in a college class if if I flipped the syllabus over and it said presentation, like shoot, man, this is a cakewalk. I got this class. I don't need. I, I don't even need to show up. I feel like I can. I can get it. But man, if it said exam or if it said paper. I was toast. I had to show up every day. I had to start writing that sucker from day one. Just not a strong suit of mine. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm I'm with you. So the, uh, in the Chapone yeah, so house, got? yeah, in the Chapone house, what what's a classic Christmas? Whether it's wild game, whether it's not, what what's a classic Christmas dish that you're pulling out that that gets your kids excited? That really has them thinking about uh, the holiday season. Oh, uh, hands down, it's lasagna. It's the Tuscan lasagna we make. I make it all the time. My daughter, she, forget it. She's got it dialed in. This year, I'm going to let them do it start to finish. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to help her get all the stuff, and I'm out. And now you do it. You need me? I'll come and help you. But it's cool. I'm building them up, man. They, they're going to be they're gonna be little ninjas in the kitchen when I grow up. That's grand. You know? That's grand. So, yeah, 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 it's awesome. And my son, he likes serving. That's his move. He'll come in the kitchen. He get in there, but he's the server. 
He yeah. wants to be out serving, making place cards, making just funny things. He just comes up and I let him just, just go and create. You know, I'll have my hands on it sometimes a little bit, and then I know I got to just let him be let him be a creative kid, you know? And it's pretty awesome. And honor it, you know, and build it up, and then everybody honors it, you know? You know, when the, when the man of the house honors something, it's, you know, the rest of the family honors it. It's like honoring the point, you know? It's the pointer, you know, those dogs, they, they honor the point of another dog. There's another pointer up there. That one points. Everyone's pointing. So it's it's creating that atmosphere in the house. Um, how you're designed. Me, I'm just a, you know I'm I'm cooking and fishing. I'm hunting. I'm doing all this stuff. My kids do that too, and they love it. And it's bringing it all. Bringing you know just bringing that love for life and just letting it turn. You know, it's organic. All Christmas, it's a change. It's never the same. Back in the day, I was at my mom's house, and I would just be a maniac, spend like a thousand dollars, and forget every fish. I had ten pound lobster one year. Why not? I had, I had that thing crawling on the floor, bro. It was running through the <laughs> living room. Yeah, it was the best. <laughs> so, I just went on a tangent, but I don't know. I'm in. Yeah, walk us through your Tuscan lasagna. If anybody hasn't made a lasagna, like. What are you doing to put your steps together? Uh, Tuscan lasagna, I mean, you got the three components. You got the meat sauce, which is done totally differently than American, the way, you know, everything's Americanized. Um, and then you have a bechamel that you have to make, which is just a roux. Uh, like I spoke earlier, you make a roux and then you add milk and you you add milk till it's you know, like a gravy consistency, you know, it's very, very, um, you want to make sure that consistency is really perfect. You don't want it too thick, too loose. Um, like pancake and then, batter and then, we're talking about. And then you point. have your, uh, I'll use uh, a regular tomato sauce that I've made, I'll have that on the side, and Parmesan cheese and fresh basil. You know, that's my setup. And then once I make that meat sauce, which is, you know, you're cooking your vegetables first. It's like carrots, celery, onions. You're cooking those. You know, you put some uh, fresh rosemary in there and um, you cook that down and then you add the meat. But you don't add salt in the beginning. You just put the meat in there and then you mix the meat. And the meat's not going to brown. It's just going to cook. You're going to brown it as much as you can and you just keep cooking it down and cooking it down. And then eventually you have your tomato product you put a little uh, red wine right in the sauce that will start bringing up the foundation. And then you put your tomatoes, you know, your crushed tomatoes or your tomato sauce, or um, I use whole tomatoes in the can and then I'll make a little sauce with that and smash it a little bit to begin with. And then put that in there as my base. And then just cook that down until the whole top is filled with oil. That's how you know it's done, you know? Gotcha. Because all, all that, that rendered oil, oil finally has come got to the out of the sauce and it's settling. And that's when you know that sauce is done. Wow. You know? um, and then you alternate that with the bechamel that you made, good consistency. You put some of that meat sauce on the bottom. And then I'll just use, I'll use a lasagna sheet. I'll use the Barilla lasagna sheets, uh, the no-boil ones, believe it or not. I'll use those um, if I'm, you know, in a rush or whatever it is, it comes out perfect every time. 
Um, I'll use fresh sheets if I have time to make it or go to the shop. But those work. That, that's my go-to. You yeah. know, those no boils. Because you, it fits perfectly in a half pan. You can bang out four lasagnas in, you know, 20 minutes if you got all your stuff in front of you, you know? Nice. Um, and then I alternate that with Parmesan cheese. That's it. And fresh basil leaves. And then I have, yeah, I guess, six layer, eight layer, you know? And then, uh, yeah, you bake it. And then you take it out and then you crisp it when it's done. You put it under the broiler, put more cheese on it. Then you got this lasagna that's like, nobody's getting lasagna like that. Yeah, yeah. We're behind the scenes. I might, I might have to, I might have to need or get that exact recipe because I know my wife really digs lasagna. And if I, if I show up with the, if I show up with a Rob Chapone lasagna, I think that's gonna flip her lid. I think she's gonna love that. Oh, it's great, and that's a good base. And you can put anything in the middle of those. Like you can take that. That's your foundation. You can turn that into whatever you want. You know. You can, you know, you can eliminate the meat, you know, just make a tomato sauce or make a vegetable. You can make a, you can turn that into whatever lasagna you want. That method anyway. Yeah. And like you said, you you even did like a, you said six layer, eight layer. Like at that point, like the layering, you know, depending on how high your, your vessel is, that's kind of where it's at. So you could make it, you know, not very tall being like, you know, four to six or yeah, stack it sky high like you said with eight so it's it gives you some variability yeah no i think six is the number um eight is a little extreme um i think six is your that's the number you want to go for you know um yeah it's cool it depends what you're doing with it too how you serve it how you put it then i'll make that sometimes i'll make that and then i'll put the whole thing in the fridge the next day i can cut out perfect squares and then i just pan sear them Put a fresh sauce and cheese on there, and serve that as like a little appetizer. Game, it's game over, man. People start punching each other at the dining room table for no reason. <laughs> they have no idea why they're punching each other. Uh, the play of overnight too. I feel like even like when it comes to like chili, chili is always better the next day because it's had yeah. time to fuse together. Those flavors are not just floating around doing their own thing. Like everything comes together. I will eat a stew all week. I'll make a big pan, and it's like I get real excited about that stew. Instead of getting bored with it, like I get real real excited like day three. And I feel like even though that a lasagna is its own thing, like it still has characteristics of like a stew or a chili that, like you said, you let it set in the fridge. A, it's going to stiffen up for you, and it's going to sit there so you can cut perfect squares of it. But at the same time, like those flavors just marry up in those, you know, 12 to 14 hours that, that they're sitting in there. And, man, I, I bet it's just a symphony after you get a couple days of just sitting in there. Yeah, and then when you sear it, you're getting more stages of flavor because that thing's going to have, you know, it's going to be cooked in a different way. You're cooking, you know, the outside, the cheese, the bechamel, all this. And you do. I would do that in a Teflon pan. You have to do it in a Teflon pan. Um, and then that's how you do that. And you do it quick just to get a little brown sear. It keeps it together. And then you just slowly put it in like a 300 oven. Let that thing just just sit there, you know. And then you pull that out, put that on the plate. It's it's really special. The other thing is skirt steak. Cook it. Put it in the fridge. Let it overnight. Slice it paper thin. And you can make millions of things with that. 
skirt steak back in the fridge after a sear, and then it's it's game on at that point. You, you can cut up because it's a protein. The meat, a cooked meat, solidifies. It seizes up. So now you can slice paper thin where you couldn't when it was like a piece of meat. You know, right? Keeping it keeping it chilled. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, steak sandwiches. Yes, good. We've moved on. We are. We're we're fast forwarding now. We're done with 2022. I know everybody was well, yeah back in 2020. Everybody was ready to be done with 2020, and then 21. We thought everything was going to go back to normal, and things got even more strange. And then finally got to 22, and I feel like yeah we've we've come a little bit closer to to normal. We've we've kind of figured things out in this new age of post pandemic. And now we're done with 22. We're moving on to 23. So many New Year's resolutions are going to be made. They're going to be broken within the first couple weeks. But we've got parties that are going to be happening. Uh, we got appetizers. We got hors d'oeuvres. We got entrees. What's a what's a favorite seafood dish? I know that I I enjoy seafood when it comes to uh, New Year's Eve. But what's a favorite seafood dish that you like to put together, Rob? That would work out great for a, a New Year's Eve party. You know, when I think of New Year's, and I, I like to do New Year's thing, um, you know, special VIP events and crazy stuff, and do a lot a lot of bites, like a lot of flavorful bites, you know. Like the bite size, they, they don't even need a plate. They got a napkin and they get all these like hors d'oeuvres, but they're more than they're two bites or whatever. And, you know, shrimp you could do a lot with, but I, I usually do the coconut shrimp and I put a lot of different spices in there and chili peppers and, you know, all sorts of things in the crust. So it's got all, it's not just coconut, you're getting hit with all these different crusts, all these different flavors and, um, and then make it like a mango um grilled uh jalapeno like a salsa but it's smoky you know and you know those two that's a that's a crowd destroyer you know that's a claymore so yeah that that uh that's one of them but truffles are always in the mix you know truffles and new years go hand in hand in my book they're always around you know whites blacks everything yeah that real like man that pungent pungent aroma um are you are you just shaving those on the things or is it uh is it going on to something how are you applying the truffle you know it has to do with the event that i'm doing it has to do where i am because you know budget comes into play and and all these things they're expensive you know but if sometimes the budget's lifted for you know certain parties you know they want to do go just go to the highest level then I could put more truffles and do more things. And, you know, so it's figuring out, you know, what can I do here? You know, if I'm home, I'm not going to, you know, buy full white truffles. It's just not going to, it's like a, a call payment, 10 call payments. What am I going to do it? I get truffle butter, I'll smear it on a piece of toast and I'm all truffled out. <laughs> Good. But yeah. So yeah, truffles, man, they're, they're really special. You know, and uh, I use them a lot. Good deal. Good deal. Well, hey, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a hard transition here, and the hard transition. Yeah, it's 
it's going to be good because we're going to step into we've 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 celebrated, but now we got to crack the books. We're, we we got to do some work here for the listeners. We got to do some work here for the people who are the DIYers at home. We are going to do a hunt of ours head to hoof, where we are going to select a specific cut of of venison. We're going to stick with venison because this applies to a lot of four-legged creatures that we're all chasing. Whether that's going to be whitetail, it could be blacktail, mule deer, elk, moose, pronghorn, you name it. If it's got four legs and hooves, it's probably going to have this cut of meat. Is it going to have its own nuances and its own size? Absolutely. But what we're talking about is it's going to be able to apply across the board and we're going to be able to use this information when it comes to butchering the animal, processing it uh, for use in the kitchen, and then finally bringing it to the kitchen. How am I going to want to prepare it? Uh, Rob this evening, he has gone for the king of cuts. He's jumped the line, and he has gone for the backstrap. That's what we're going to highlight tonight is we're going to talk in in, uh, in length about backstrap rob why did you choose backstrap why was that your cut that you were going to go for you know because i you know i've been cooking it a very very long time many different techniques many different styles shapes uh, you name it and i picked it because i have a lot to share about it and i'd love to share it with everyone so they can use it and, and then they could share some, share that with someone else you know um so there's it's the most sought after cut what knows about it it's it's the one so and the tenderloins too is is number two you know but the backstrap everyone wants them so you know i really want to share you know some of these special things that i do with it you know um how i get to it you know how i get that bone out actually i got videos and I'm starting to do a lot of videos teaching and, and, and how, you know, how to get the, the rack off, you know, how to get the back strap where you don't have chunks and pieces missing. You know, there's many techniques you can use. You know, it starts with the knives. You need good knives or you need sharp knives, flexible knives. You have a flexible knife. You can get right down the spine and get that back strap out and just, you know, one that has a little flex, you can just pull it down the spine and pull the back strap out in one motion. Absolutely. You really can. You know, so that's going to take video. I could talk about that all day long. Um, But, um, yeah, so the back strap, you know, it's, uh, you can do a lot with it. Am I going full-on back strap mode, or what are we doing here? Well, we're going to back up a minute, and we're going to talk a little bit about location of it. Um, essentially it starts, well, if you were going to go to the full muscle fiber, you're going to go all the way up. It it starts up midway on the neck. Um, it starts up in way in the top and it comes down the neck and it actually goes down the full dorsal end of the, of the deer. So it rides along the top of the back all the way down to the rump. Um, we end up at least traditionally you've seen people cut, um, it, a front of the rib cage, uh, probably, yeah, lining up with the front of the rib cage. Once they've decided, like, this is the neck section, they they make their cuts on both sides, cutting the back strap, 
uh, separating that from the neck and the chuck area that gets cut off. And then what people are going to do is then they're going to end up like, like you said, they're going to work their knife along the spine and they're going to be able to peel that off as a whole piece if they wanted to do that. Now you're going to, you're going to take us on an adventure where we keep that on. We try to keep the chime. We try to keep the, um, the ribs here, but that is traditionally where, where people end up making that cut. But that, that, uh, that muscle rides all the way along the top of the animal. If we were to compare this to a domestic cut, this is essentially uh, the forward end would be your your New York strip. The small, uh, you, you know, the the from about the mid saddle forward to the neck is going to be your New York strip, and then uh, aft of that working back towards the rump as it thickens, that's going to become the ribeye. Those are ribeyes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you, you can go bone in, you can go bone out. I, I always like to be the bone in. Um, but at the same time, that's going to be your ribeye cut. Uh, those The last part of that, so, like, if you look at, the, again, the domestic side of it, um, if you were to take the whole saddle section where you get your T-bones, is it's going to be – uh, the rib and the, or I think it's the, the chime bone that's there with the, uh, tenderloin on one side and then the ribeye on the other, or at least that's the, uh, yeah, that's the start of the T-bone when then working more towards the end of the animal, you have like a couple porterhouses that you can pull off of a beef. I find that making the, the, uh, at least here in Michigan, we're in CWD territory, uh, keeping the bone and anything near the spinal column, uh, we've we've kind of just written that off. That's something you don't want to mess with. That's where you're going to find those CWD prions. So unfortunately, we got to pull that off uh, as the um, as the one section. You can keep the rib section on, but yeah, anytime that you deal with the chime or the uh, vertebrae, yeah, that gets real squeaky. So we try to we try to avoid at least most of that when it comes to cutting that off but that's the back strap as it extends the whole back le- back length of the animal up on the top comparable to us like we said new york strip and the the ribeye yeah characteristics of it very tender um as you the old the added phrase the, the old phrase is things get tender the further you get away from the head and the hoof excuse me the horn and the hoof so as we work our way out from the animal, this is one of those pieces that's the furthest away from the leg, and it's the furthest away from the from the head and the neck. This section is going to do the least amount of work comparatively. It's not powering the animal forward. It's keeping the animal stabilized, so it's doing little motions here and there, keeping the animal in line, essentially. So the amount of work that it's doing is not very strenuous, which is going to give it a, a milder flavor, and then B, at that point, it's going to be a tender cut that is going to open up for us to do a lot of things with. We can either do fancy or we can really keep it simple because of how tender that already is. So as far as I would say, as far as far as the tenderness, I would say it's, uh, because it's venison, It's it can't be a four out of a four tenderized. So I'm going to say it's a three out of four for tenderization at that point. So it's quite tender. Absolutely. That's, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, 
you know, what's difficult sometimes is, you know, when you overcook it, it's so lean and, and, and tender that you will overcook it much easier, you know, if you're not paying attention. You know, and you shouldn't be cooking it prolonged. It should be a minute or two. You flip it in the sauce or whatever you're cooking it in. You turn the pan off, leave it there. Flip it again, play with it, leave it in there, and be perfect every time. Especially if it's a small uh, back strap or people cut them in half. Everybody does it differently. You know? Yep. No, that's a great point. And we were going to get into the cooking ideas. It's it's pretty straightforward when it comes to cooking that you you don't want this to get above medium rare and if you're someone who even likes like likes well done meat like i would still hang out even in the medium realm uh try not to go on on whatever recipe you're trying to go for try not to get above that 130 um it's going to be it's going to be slightly pink it's going to be not bleeding out at that point it's not not necessarily like beef but i feel like if even even folks that if you can get that to an internal temperature of 130 being a medium, that's gonna make that's gonna make most of everybody happy, unless they're folks that like to lean towards the medium rare rare side. Um, even the well, I usually folks, pull, I pull it out at one twenty four. One twenty four is your magic number. Yeah, one twenty four because I'm gonna sear it and do some other stuff to it, especially the sous uh, vide. I, I tell you the truth, I never ever ever took the temperature over it when I was doing it on the stove top or. You know, only the sous vide, you know, because I kind of know what it feels like and I know how much time it needs. You can kind of see what that meat's looking like. You can see if it's still plump, you know, it's still kind of plump and it's rare, you know, but if it's losing that and shrinking, you got to take that in consideration what temp it is, you know. Yep. I, my approach, and I've kind of got it dialed in, and it's because I use a Bluetooth, uh, or a Bluetooth probe thermometer. I think anybody that needs, whether it's a, a Bluetooth, whether it's a, a wired, whether it's the old school where yeah. it's got the temperature dial on it, like get you a probe. That's going to solve all of your backstrap woes is if you can just get the temperature and you play the temperature game, like that's going to help you hands down yeah. so much. Absolutely. Um, Shameless plug. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go with mine's yeah. a Tapicue. I've been working for them for or working with them for a couple years now, and just great folks out of Missouri. Uh, family-owned business, made in the USA. There's there's a whole section of people. They go to the extent of they they got a guy who presses the plastic housing for them. They got a guy who puts together the circuit boards. And they're in their shop, like they got family members that are assembling the units and putting these units together. And I, I just, I everything about that company coming out and being a family, uh, family-run company, uh, they work together. It just, it warms my heart because I've been in the same place that they have. So I picked up um, their Air Probe. They've got uh, their their Air Probe one and two. They were a little bit thick. And but they did a great job. You can put that in, connect it to your phone. It tells you exactly the temp that you're looking for, looking to get. They've just come out with their Air Probe Three, which is very thin. It's gone way down in girth, which is super cool. You're not leaving a huge hole in the side of your meat, um, but it's got the thinnest profile of any probe that's out there right now. And there's no battery inside it to run it right now. It it gets charged. Um, 
on a on a charging unit that that houses the battery, and then you stick that in your meat, and then it, it's charged up, giving you the information um, straight to your phone. Super cool technology. I'll go with a reverse sear, and I'll actually start a slow oven. So I'm at like 275, 300 on the oven, and I put that probe into my piece of meat that I've just like get warm on the counter. Um, I've salted it and put a little bit of black pepper on there. That goes in the oven until that temperature goes off, and I've, I've picked it at 115. 115 is my mark that when my timer goes off, pull that out and I let it rest. And while it's resting, that's when I'm either getting the grill smoking hot or I'm uh, getting that cast iron just ripping. And when I plop that on there, it's literally 30 seconds. Like you said, just play with it, roll it over, roll it over. And by doing that method where I'm slow rolling the heat in it first, get it to that mark, and then hit it hard on that cast iron. Like that bullseye effect that I have from, uh, you know, right where I want it at, at medium rare and rare and then it bubbles out you see the different layers as, as it's created it just expands out that sweet mark so like the heat didn't have a chance to pe- penetrate farther than the surface of it so you get that crisp outside and on the inside is right where you want it like that's i i praise that method when it comes to backstrap i think it works out just mm, so good hey you know what me and you should open a restaurant and just call it game <laughs> yeah that's it we'll open it it's, you know you have 10 seats it's like a thousand dollars a plate <laughs> yes yeah no more than we 10 seats because we're gonna spend so much time on each plate whoever comes in you're gonna have to wait an hour and we're gonna talk to you about it <laughs> but at the same yeah. time you'll we'll, love it <laughs> yeah we'll go over the business plan later off the air because it's gonna get nuts <laughs> yeah. that's cool man that's so fun so yeah, that's uh, when it comes then to applications of it. Like you were talking, um, you can go simple, like you said, salt, pepper, on the grill, play with it, roll around with it, feel feel what it's like. Get you, uh, you know, like you said, one twenty four. That's your that's your gold mark right there, and you're, you're pulling it off at that point. Or you're going your your reverse sear, and you're playing the numbers game. You're watching, uh, adding a little bit bit of technology. Um, dishes dishes that my made um with the backstrap and that's that's the one that i threw out earlier was that wellington um very high class very elegant um it's a crowd pleaser it's one of those you ooh and ah you take the puff pastry you dress it up um you get a chance to use mushrooms which is earthy you get to make a sauce like that's really one of those things that you can just um really hone in on I one thing I think that I mean guys have have said they've perfected it, and I believe them. Um, but it's that whole idea of they they want that smoky smokiness to it. Um, I would say throw it on the smoker, but guys will continue to wrap backstrap in bacon until until the world stops moving. It's going, people are <laughs> yeah, going to keep wrapping it's, it's it in bacon. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. With the tw- with the with the uh, the corkscrew thing with the uh, the two spikes going through it like the pinwheels. Yes, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I, and I get what they're trying to do, and they're they're trying to get the fat to render in on and keep it you know keep it moist, and they're they're going for long and they're going for slow, and I just and I, this is gonna sound bad. It sounds like I'm down talking down upon the method, but I just 
I don't feel that bacon should be wrapped around backstrap and thrown on a grill. Maybe that's just me. What are your feelings about wrapping bacon around the backstrap? You know, I, I, first of all, if I was to wrap something, I, I'd wrap venison with like prosciutto and like speck and, you know, and birka ham, you know, who can afford that stuff, you know? You know, I did some crazy stuff with that. But wrapping it in bacon, you know, you're really taken away from that. You're taken away from the venison. I want to taste the venison. I want to taste it. I want to taste the meat. I love the the different flavors that I go on that journey with, but I don't want to have this smoky bacon thing. And it's like, that could have been anything in there, you know? Absolutely. And it tastes like bacon. That's it. Yep. <laughs> so I'm out. I'm out. Gotcha. I'll throw that out the window, too. We'll I know. throw that out the window, bro. Get it out of here. <laughs> Well, folks, if you have to forward any hate mail over to Rob, you can send it to huntivore at gmail.com. I will be make sure that that Rob gets those. And know that, yeah, I I say this in the fact that I I just feel like it's – we know too much about temperature. We know too much on how to care for our venison that I don't think we need to go to the length of safeguarding with bacon being wrapped on the outside of it. Now – our guys are going to continue to stuff their back straps. They're going to use the cream cheese. They're going to use the garlic. They're going to use uh, uh, jalapenos, and they're going to stuff that in there with the cheese, and they're going to roll it up nice and tight, and they're going to then use the bacon to wrap on the outside. I say keep stuffing, but let's get you a butcher's knot. Let's get some twine. Let's do it that way. Let's tie that up correctly, and then that stuffed. Uh, backstrap because then when you cut that open I mean nothing warms my midwest heart than to have cheddar cheese and to have cream cheese oozing out of the center of this beautiful uh, piece of meat because at that point I'm slugging it down at a barbecue with a light beer and I'm having the time of my life at this point so I would say keep stuffing but let's not wrap it in bacon yeah, and stop stuffing it too. All right, don't you're not gonna stuff even stuff it. it. You're don't, not stuffing. Don't, don't stuff it, man. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. If we're gonna stuff it, Rob. Okay, I know you said you're not gonna, but if we had to make you stuff one, what are you gonna throw in it? Are you gonna go the? Re- you can't go truffles. That's you know we've we've missed we've mixed classes now at this point. But are you gonna go with like a mushroom yeah. and an onion in there? What What are you thinking you're gonna throw in there? You know, I'll tell you, there's, you want something that's going to maintain its shape in there. So I would put some, I would, I would do something with some sort of caramelized pecan or a nut, right? And then mix that with some, some dates and some, um, you know, some tart cherries and then, you know, make like this paste, you know, kind of like, like a paste. It will turn when it cooks. It will turn into kind of like a sauce. And but when you put it in the middle, I would I would take it and you want to cut it. Uh, you want to cut the backstrap in a way that you get a perfect cylinder around that mix, and then you tie it. And then you would sear it or put whatever on there. You know, you can put some spices on there. You can throw some five spice on there, and that will take it to a whole other place. You won't even know that you have in venison, you know, and then, you know, go down that route, you know, go something with nuts, something with, 
you know, fruit. You could do apricots. You can do like a stuffing kind of. You can even take what I said and you could use it. Just use a stovetop stuffing and mix that in with, with those other things. And that's even the better idea, you know. So it's it's a stuffing. Make a stuffing. You can do it with it, without it. You know, you can layer it with fruit. Gotcha. Believe it or not, pomegranates. It, it, it's it's pretty amazing, you know. Yeah. We've got a good couple areas here in Michigan where cherries are king. In fact, we've got the cherry capital up here at Traverse City. Man, that cherry idea to do it with like like you said, like a like a pecan or a walnut mixed in with cherries in there. Um, man, that's taking it to a whole new like at this point now we got savory sweet going on. That's gonna turn some heads. I think if if people are really going on if they want to stuff their backstrap that's the route that we need to go with yeah you know you want to you want to make it magical you know you want to you want you want you want it to be the star so you gotta when people it's an experience when they eat it it's not like oh eh, that's good meat you know cook temp good no what the heck it's like they get punched in the face and they, <laughs> they don't know what happened oh man <laughs> Well, Rob, we are running. We're over here at an hour and 15 minutes. This has just been a great night. Thank you so much for just having some time to be able to sit and chat. Um, where can folks find you? Where can folks uh, – I know you've been on before, but where can folks uh, find you on, on the social web? Oh, well, right now, All Our Energy is in uh, Instagram, and it's uh, Chef Bomb, B-O-M-B, 2020. And uh, we're posting all our pictures and videos and, you know, some of these great adventures. And then eventually it's going to it's going to be true harvest. But uh, we're going to we're going to birth that and launch that in a later date. The true harvest is going to encapsulate all these things that we do. So, yeah, well, looking forward to chatting and sharing whatever I got, man, is yours, bro. Whatever <laughs> I got is whoever's listening. I give it to you. That's it. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, Rob, hold on for just a second. Well, folks, as you head off and you're either in the midst of your season right now or you're winding down your your hunting seasons and you're now in the season of Thanksgiving, you're in the season of Christmas and giving, and you're in the season of friends and family, folks, this is the best time to be sharing not only of ourselves but of our harvest. So as you're walking out there tonight, Um, and you're thinking about making something for a gathering, really put some heart and soul into that and be able to share not only your passion for the outdoors, but to share the love that you've got and the way you can express that is through the dish that you provide on the table. And whatever that dish is, make sure that the knives you are using are always sharp.